On October 31st, 1517, a German monk by the name of Martin Luther went to the church doors at the church door in Wittenberg, and he posted what has been called the 95 Theses. This was Luther's 95 problems he found within the Catholic Church. These 95 problems he, 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 he felt were, were, were places where the church did not align with Scripture. And he sought to reform the church. He sought to bring the church back to the Bible. Luther had no intention of starting a revolution. Luther had no intention of starting what has been called the Protestant Reformation, but that is what happened. We are just about a week and a half from the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, which is awesome. If you're not excited about this, I don't know what, what, what else would get you excited. This is incredible. 500 years later, after Martin Luther posted his 95 theses and launched the Protestant Reformation. Well, what is a Protestant? If you come to Desert Heights Church, you are probably a Protestant because Desert Heights is a Protestant church. So what is a Protestant? A Protestant is somebody who believes in Scripture alone. The authority for your life is the Bible. A Protestant is someone who believes that salvation is by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, to God's glory alone. It, right now, if you are holding a text of the Bible in your hands, a printed copy or an electronic copy, you possess a text of Scripture in a language that you can understand because of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, if you're an English speaker, a guy named William Tyndale was the first person to translate the Bible from Hebrew and Greek into English because beforehand, all they had was the Latin Vulgate. So people, they'd go to church. It was in Latin. They couldn't understand. You were probably a poor peasant, so you couldn't read. But if you could read, you had to, have, you had to know Latin because Scripture was only available in Latin. So if, if, if you have a copy of Scripture before you today, it comes from the Protestant Reformation. The way we do church right now, this comes from the Protestant Reformation. We all came in here, we sang, and the majority of our time this morning is going to be devoted to the preaching of God's Word. This comes from the Reformation. We owe much to the Reformation. One of the things that we, that we can also owe to the Reformers was their recovery of what has been called the Protestant work ethic. How many of you have, have you heard this term before? The Protestant work ethic? Basically, it's the idea that all that you do, whether secular or sacred, if you, if you happen to be a pastor or a missionary, or if you're a plumber or an oil field worker, it doesn't matter what your vocation is. You are to work out your vocation. You are to work out your job as an act of worship to God. The reformers, in order to, to, to bolster this point from Scripture, they use this very text that we are going to cover this morning. So if you were to read Luther or Calvin or Zwingli, you would see them interacting with 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11 through 13. And that is our text for this morning. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11 through 13. 13. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He writes this, For we hear 
that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning, and then we will take apart this passage of Scripture. Father, this morning we are grateful for all of the amazing things that you've done. We are in awe of your gospel. We sang this morning songs about your grace and about your redemption of us, about you rescuing us from damnation, rescuing us from hell, rescuing us from wrath. We thank you that you have called us and you have put us here. This morning, God, your people are here. They're hungry. They want to hear your word preached. So I pray that your message will be clear this morning. Your word would be preeminent. You would speak to your people. Don't let me get in the way. Don't let the messenger follow up the message. Be with your people this morning. Help us all to understand what the Bible teaches and how we should live. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Our topic for this morning is not the Protestant Reformation, although that would have been so cool. Um, our topic this morning is the Christian and work. The Christian and work. Why do we work? What point does work have for us? Does the Bible have stuff to say about work? Absolutely, it does. So if you're taking notes, the first point there is, number one, they're the problem. And we see this in verse 11. Paul writes in, in 2 Thessalonians 3.11, he says, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Our text this morning does not stand in isolation. If you come to Desert Heights, you know that we don't, we don't just uh, pick a verse out of the Bible and that's what we're going to do. We work systematically through books of the Bible. So we've been in 2 Thessalonians for a, what, a month now, a couple months. Um, our text this morning is not in isolation. It's near the end of a 10-verse long treatment covering the topic of the Christian and work. So before we get into our text, I think it's important for us to understand Paul's flow of thought here. So we're going to put up a chart on the screen. And you're going to see how our text fits together with the other verses in this unit. So this unit comprises 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. The whole discussion concerning work and the Christian starts in verse 6. In verse 6, Paul says this, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. If you weren't here last week, Brent preached verse 6 through uh, 10 last week. So if you, if you haven't heard that, go home after this. And, and listen to it. You can watch it online. You can hear it on the podcast. Um, if, you were, if you were awake at 7.30 on Wednesday morning, you could have heard it on the radio. Um, but but this, is a, this is all flow of thought here. So in verse 6, Paul gives a command. And he says, Stay away from, separate from fellow Christians who are idle, who are not working. That's his command. He tells us that. As a believer, you are to separate from other believers who don't work. Why? Well, reason number one, he gives us two reasons, and Brent covered this last week. He gives us two reasons. First is Paul's example. Verse 7, he says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we may not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you uh, to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. So Paul says, separate from those who will not work. 
Why? Because we, the apostles, gave you an example. We worked. We didn't take uh, from other people. We weren't loafers. We could have. As, as those in ministry, we could, have, we could have asked that you cover our expenses, but we didn't. We paid, for, we paid, we paid, we worked so that way we could work is what Paul is saying. They paid their own way. So that's the first reason. Then the second reason. The second reason is Paul's teaching. Verse 10, he says, For even, for, or for even when we were with you, we gave you this command. What is the command that Paul gave them when he planted the church at Thessalonica? Here it was. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So Paul tells the Thessalonians, if people will not work, if they refuse to work, if they are not willing to work, don't feed them. Don't bail them out. Let them starve. Why? Because eventually, people are going to like go, oh, I'm starving to death. I should probably go get a job. That is what Paul is saying. Now, now some of you might be concerned. Some of you might be like, well, I'm a mother. I'm at home. I'm raising, I'm raising my kids, so I don't technically have a job. Well, that is a job. Uh, some of you might be thinking, um, I, am, uh, I blew up my back, and I am physically disabled, and I cannot go work. Notice what Paul says. Paul says, don't feed those who are not willing to work. It's not a physical trait. It's, it's, a, it's a motivation issue. Uh, in other words, Paul is saying, if you're being a lazy, godless degenerate, you can starve. This is what Paul is saying, okay? So Paul says, Stay away from those who are idle. Stay away from those who refuse to work. Why? Number one, we gave you an example. And number two, just don't do it. Don't bail them out. If they are not willing to work, do not feed them. Now, how does this play out? What is the application? That's our text this morning. The application is Paul's discussion of Christian of the Christian and work. That's what we're covering. These, these verse 11, verse 12, and verse 13, these three verses is our text this morning. So do you see the discussion? Paul gives a command in verse 6. Paul gives two reasons for his command, one in 7 through 9, the second in verse 10, and now he's going to apply. So our text this morning is applicational. So let's go ahead and let's, let's break it apart phrase by phrase. So verse 11, Paul says, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. Paul says, For we hear. The apostle Paul was writing this letter from the city of Corinth. Corinth was about 300 miles away from Thessalonica. Um, if you're curious, because I was curious, I was up this morning at like 5 o'clock in the morning, and I thought to myself, hmm, how long would it take to walk from Thessalonica to Corinth? So you, Google will tell you, man. So I got on Google Maps, and I, and I looked, and you know, you can have, you have a train, you have a boat, you have a car, and then you have the little guy walking. It would take like 91 hours to walk from Thessalonica to Corinth, um, and I don't know who I don't know who who they're, they're they're like determining who walks because like if I walk it's probably at one speed if my sister walks you know me takes probably takes me ninety hours Shrey walks probably hundred eighty hours you know how do they how do they determine this I don't know but but Paul's the point is this Paul's pretty far he's pretty far away from the Thessalonians. He's in Corinth. He's 300 miles away. Um, there's no FaceTime in these days. He can't pull out his iPhone and check in on them. He can't hop on the train and go down there. He can't hop in his Range Rover and cruise on down. Like, he either has to walk or he has to ride or he has to get in a ship and go up on the ocean and get there. And, and it's not like today where we just hop on a road and we cruise. Like, if you are walking on the road, there's a good chance you're going to get mugged. And people are going to beat you up and take all that you have. Um, if you hop on a ship, 
If it, if it so happens to be that it's not war, war time, you're hoping you don't happen to run into a storm on the way over because then your ship's going to break to pieces and you're going to be stuck in the ocean, which happened to Paul. So this, this, Paul's far away. He's 300 miles away. And he says, we hear that there's a problem. There is a problem going on at the church at Thessalonica. Paul probably heard this report from whoever carried his letter to the Thessalonians. Because again, there's no email, there's no FaceTime, there's no U.S. There's no US Postal Service to lose your bills, lose your mortgage payment. They're, they're not around yet. So like, if you want to deliver mail, you have to like, give it to somebody and then you send it. So if I'm, if I'm Paul and I'm in Corinth and I'm writing a letter, the person I don't give it to is Shreya because it's going to take twice as long to get there. I give it to somebody else. The fastest person I can, boom, boom, I give it to them. They walk or they take a ship, whatever, they go there. So, so Paul heard this report. We don't, we're not quite sure where he heard this report. It's a good chance he, he heard it from Timothy because in 1 first, first Thessalonians, the first letter, Paul says this, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us, we long to see you. So Paul probably sent Timothy down there to check out the situation. Timothy has come back and he's given Paul a report. He's given Paul the report that... Some of the Thessalonians are walking in idleness. They're walking in idleness. What is this word idleness? This is the Greek word atakos, and it's used of soldiers. It means this, irregular in conduct, idle, or lazy. This term was used of soldiers. Soldiers who are, not, who are being irregular in their conduct are Lazy soldiers, if they're not walking in line, not walking in formation, not doing their thing, they, this term would have been applied to them. They are lazy. And Paul is using it in this sense, that, that, that these people, some of the people in the, in the church at Thessalonica, they are being lazy. They're being idle. They're not doing anything. So Timothy has brought this report back to Paul, and Paul says, how are, how are things going at Thessalonica? And Timothy says, you know, they're going good, things are, things are good, but, but, there are a group of people there at the church who are just lazy bums. They're, they're mooching off of everybody. They're leeches. They're sucking the church dry. They're not working, and uh, it's a bad situation. So now Paul, Paul is writing to them. This is, this is one of the main reasons why he actually writes 2 Thessalonians to correct this problem because it had, it's something he's already addressed, and it's just gotten worse. The Bible has some very unflattering words for lazy people who refuse to work. Proverbs 10.26 says this, Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. If you are a lazy bum, you are like vinegar to everybody's teeth. You cause them pain. You are like smoke in people's eyes. You are an annoyance and a nuisance. Proverbs 12, this is not my words, God's words. Proverbs 12, 27. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. So the lazy person, he gets his game, he's, he's going to hunt, but he doesn't cook it. Why? Because he's lazy. Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Proverbs 15, 19, the way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. The way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns? Like, thorns are not pleasant. Have you ever stepped on a thorn or run into a thorn? 
or giving a, a girl roses with thorns on it because that's what she deserves because she's heartless. <laughs> like, like, thorns are not pleasant. I didn't do that. You know what I did? You know what I gave? Okay, so the girl I was interested in for two years in college, I didn't give her roses because that would be too forward. So I gave her like the friendship, not the red ones, you know, whatever, the white ones, I don't know, whatever. But then, look, listen how smooth I am. I gave her a pineapple. And it was this formal dating event. And like, you know, it's the big thing on campus. We all go to the opera. And everyone's cliche. And they all give each other candy and flowers. Ugh, who wants to do that? I gave her a pineapple. And she had to carry that pineapple into an opera. It's like a formal event. So embarrassing. But I thought it was hilarious, which is probably why things did not work out. So um, don't give your date a pineapple. So, but, but... the, you know, if you are lazy, you're like thorns. People touch you and it hurts. They, you, you, you prick them. You're, you're no good. You're no good, basically, is what, is what Proverbs is saying. Proverbs 21, 25. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. He is so lazy, he would rather just lay around at home and die then go to work. Proverbs 24, 30-34. I pass by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. If, if you're a sluggard, Solomon is saying you're stupid, you lack sense. Verse 31. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it, and I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. If you are lazy and if you refuse to work, not only are you like vinegar on people's teeth, not only are you like smoke in people's eyes, not only are you like a thorn that hurts everybody around you, but your laziness will destroy you. That's what the Bible teaches. And then Paul, Paul never minces words. I love this. 1 Timothy 5.8, he says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul says, if you are a Christian, fathers, men especially, because this is your role, if you, are a, if you are a Christian man and you do not provide for your family, Paul says, you're not providing for your family. By doing that, you have denied the faith and you are worse than an unbeliever. If you have a King James sitting in front of you, it says, you are worse than an infidel, which I like more. I think that's more, more punchy. If you are a Christian especially a man. I'm not going to defend these statements because um, it's, it's, if you want to know, come to my class. We talk about this, but what biblical manhood is. If you are a man and you are not providing for your family and you're calling yourself a Christian, you are worse than an unbeliever, what Paul says. So laziness is not good. It's not good to be lazy. Uh, it's not good that Timothy's reporting back to Paul that some of these Thessalonians are walking in idleness. They're walking in laziness. Laziness in the church at Thessalonica has been a recurring problem that Paul has been addressing. Like, remember, remember last letter, we talked about this, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12? Paul writes this. He's telling them, 
Aspire to live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your hands as we instructed you that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. So in his first letter, Paul already told these people, get to work, go get a job. So that way you're not, you're not being a leech. So that way you're not dependent upon other people for your income. He told them that already, and still the problem remained, which is why Paul gets especially harsh in the second letter. And in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, he says, that's the verse that Brent covered last week. He says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So Paul's getting frustrated with these Thessalonians. He's getting annoyed. He's already told them, get to work, and they refuse. Paul says that, he says that they're, they're not, he says in verse 11, that they are, they are walking in idleness, they're being lazy. But let's look at this next phrase. He says, they are not busy at work. These Christians were lazy. They were living in idleness. They were, they were not willing to work. That means that they could work. They weren't bedridden. There wasn't something physically wrong with them. They weren't at home taking care of their families. They just simply didn't want to work. They weren't busy at work. They weren't striving to excel in their work. They weren't rising with the sun and making a living for themselves. They weren't ensuring that they would survive or that they would eat. They weren't busy at work because they were not working. We aren't told why the Thessalonians weren't working, but there are a few possibilities that commentators give us. So number one, there, 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 are, three, there are three reasons why probably the Thessalonians weren't working. Number one, in Greek culture, there was a real disdain for manual labor. So the Greeks, they looked at that manual labor as being beneath them. Only the common man or, or the slave would engage as something so low as to work with their hands. And in our day today, there, you know, honestly, there kind of is a little, bit of a, a little bit of a prejudice still that remains. White-collar workers still, to some degree, look down on blue-collar workers. They say, oh, well, you know, you, you work out in the field, you have blue, you're a blue-collar worker, you must be dumb or something right? Because you work a trade. So, so this kind of bias still remains. So in Greek culture, people look down on manual labor. So that's, that's one reason why the Thessalonians weren't working. Another is already in the early church, there was an artificial dichotomy between the sacred and the secular. Already, you, you read uh, the church historian Eusebius, uh, already, he mentions this, already Christians wanted to be concerned about the Lord's work as opposed to secular work to make a, make a living. Do you know what I mean? In other words, spiritual work, being a pastor, being a missionary, that was real work. That was God-honoring work. Mundane daily work, being a sh- copper or a carpenter or a poop scooper, that guy, that's beneath, that's beneath the Christian. If, if you want to be a real Christian, you got to go into the ministry. That, was, that attitude was already present in the early church. And we're going to see later on that that dichotomy between sacred callings and secular callings, that's a false dichotomy, okay? We're going to get there, though. Not right now. We're going to get there. So a third reason why Christians, these Christians were not working is that some believed that the day of the Lord had happened or was close to happening, so they didn't work. I mean, think about that. If the world is going to end and Christ is going to come and bring everything into judgment at any time now, and everything that we know is just going to get wiped out. Why get a job? Seriously. Like, if God's going to come back in fury, which Paul told us, and he's going to wipe all these people out, why go pave a street? The street's just going to get ripped up. Why go build this building? It's just going to get eradicated. 
Okay? So, there were, so it's probably true that at the church at Thessalonica, there were, there were people who were representative of all three groups. Some people didn't work because they thought manual labor was beneath them. It, it just, it's undignified. I'm not going to do it. Some people didn't work because they, they thought that secular jobs, quote-unquote, were not as good as spiritual jobs. If you want, if you want to really please God, you got to go into the ministry. Uh, another, another group didn't work because they're like, well, whatever. The world's going to end. Why, why, why expend the effort? Okay? So whatever the reason for not working, though, it was a problem. Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't interact with them and be like, oh, well, that, that's a good reason for being lazy. He doesn't do that. In fact, he says some very harsh things. He says, why don't you go starve already? Okay? So, so there is no valid excuse. Um, this was a big problem in the early church, but Christians who won't work for whatever reason is not a new problem. The pro- this problem specifically has plagued the church for centuries. I'm going to put up to, uh, we're going to look at this quote from John Calvin. John Calvin was the great Protestant reformer in Geneva. Um, he wrote one of the first systematic theologies, uh, Institutes of the Christian Religion. Uh, we owe much to Calvin. Um, and this is what he says. Listen, this is so funny. Listen to what, or, as I read, and you can read along. Look what he says. Calvin writes, It is probable that this kind of drones were, as it were, the, I, the seed of idle monkhood. So Calvin, Calvin is interacting with this text, and he's saying, yeah, the monks... The monks right now in the church, that's how they are. They don't work. They just kind of, they're loafers. Look what he says. For from the very beginning, there were some who under the pretext of religion either made free with the tables of others or craftily drew to themselves the substance of the simple. They had also, even in the time of Augustine, come to prevail so much that he was constrained to write a book expressly against idle monks, where he complains with good reason of their pride, because despising the admonition of the apostle, they not only only excused themselves on the ground of infirmity, but they wished to appear holier than all others on the ground that they are exempt from labors. He inveighs with good reason against this unseemliness that while the senators are laborious, the workman or persons in human life does not merely live in idleness, but would fain have his indolence pass for sanctity. Such are his views. In the meantime, however, the evil has increased to such an extent that idle bellies occupy nearly the tenth part of the world, whose only religion is to be well-stuffed and to have exemption from all annoyance of labor. So here's John Calvin. Calvin was born in 1509. He died in 1564. And here, at 1564 at the latest, because that's when Calvin died, here at 1564 at the latest, Calvin is complaining about people in the church not working. And in his complaining about the church, people in the church not working, he mentions Augustine. And he says, Augustine wrote a book about people in the church not working. Augustine was like born in 354 and died in 430. The point is this, nothing has changed. I'm quoting Calvin from at least 453 years ago. And he's quoting Augustine from 1,134 years before him. So here we are in 2017, and 1,500 years ago, pastors and theologians were complaining about people not working. The point is this. If you think that in order for the church to be effective and to be dynamic for Christ, we need to somehow get back to some golden age of the church, you are wrong. 
It doesn't exist. That's just romanticizing the past. There was no good old days in the church. The church has always been messed up. In our text this morning, Paul is calling out Christians in the church for not working. He probably wrote 2 Thessalonians anywhere from 49 to 51. In the 400s, Augustine is calling out people in the church for not working. Fast forward to the 1500s, John Calvin is calling out people in the church for not working. And here we are, 2017, we are facing the same problem. There is no progress because people are godless degenerates. People are sinners. They are lazy. So Paul says, some of you, we hear some of you walk in idleness. You're, you're, walk, you're living a, a lazy life. You're not busy at work, but you're being busy bodies. Now, there is a wordplay going on here for all of you people who get a kick out of puns. And, and, um, there, in the Greek, there, there's a wordplay. So, so the one Greek word about, uh, about not working and the, the Greek word about um, um, being a busybody, it rhymes. So um, if you have an NLT, that, that, that wordplay, that pun doesn't really come through. The translators didn't translate that. But if you have an ESV, that's why there's a pun there. See, see, do you see Paul's pun? They're not busy at work. They're busy bodies. See, there's a pun here. There's a wordplay. Paul is just being cute. Um, it's for all of you people who love, who love literature, and you're sitting there and you think, oh, Paul, that's nice for you to be elegant like that. It's, it's to be sophisticated. So that way when you drink your, your Earl Grey tea, you hold out your pinky and you go, hmm, that was nice, which is what I did. That was nice. All right, so these lazy Christians weren't busy at work. They were busy bodies. What is a busy body? The Greek communicates not so much being busy, but being busy at meddling. Meddling in other people's business. These Christians weren't busy at work. They were busy being in other people's business. In his first letter, Paul commanded the Thessalonians not to be busybodies. 1 Thessalonians 4.11, he says, Live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your hands as we instructed you. But again, it went went unheeded. The Thessalonians, some of them, they weren't working, so they were being busy at being involved in other people's life. Paul told Timothy not to support young widows so that way they could remarry and so that way they would not become busybodies. Remember, Brent read this text last week, 1 Timothy 5, 11 through 13. But refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, so that's the big thing. And then Paul says, well, well besides that, in addition to that, they learn to be idlers. It's the same word from our text this morning. They learn to be lazy. They go about from house to house and not only idle, not only be lazy, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So Paul actually tells Timothy, if, if a young lady is widowed and she's of age to remarry, shack her up, get her remarried to somebody. So that way... So that way, she would, number one, not be a burden on the church, but number two, she wouldn't be going about, um, wouldn't be going about uh, you know, being a busybody, meddling in everybody's business. Um, so that's, there you go. There you have it. Um, Peter addressed a similar problem to his readers. So in 1 Peter 4, 14 to 15, Peter says this, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. But... Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief 
or an evildoer. Oh, okay. I, I, don't, I don't think that any of us in here probably struggle with murdering people. I don't think. Maybe you have. Okay. Um, so we get that. We're, okay, well, I'm not a murderer. That's fine. I'm okay. Paul says, or Peter says, all right, don't be a thief. Maybe some of you are thieves. Don't be a thief. Okay, all right, I'm not a thief. Um, don't be an evildoer. Well, I'm not really an evildoer. Um, I like the Dallas Cowboys, I guess. I don't know. It's self-inflicted pain, whatever. But then look what he did. The last thing he says is, so he says, don't let, don't, don't let, any, it's fine if you suffer for Jesus, but don't suffer because you murder someone. Don't suffer because you're a thief. Don't suffer because you're an evildoer. And don't suffer because you are a meddler. Like Peter is putting meddler on the same level as murderer. Whoa, that is crazy. But that's, 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 that's their attitude of the New Testament writers for people who won't work and instead are occupying their time being in everybody's business. In Peter's letter, meddling, being a busybody, wasn't necessarily in the context of lazy people causing grief in the church. In Peter's situation, these were people meddling in other people's business. These were people starting revolutions. These, 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 are, these are people, you know them, they don't have a job. There's 24 hours on, in a day. They spend 26 hours a day on Facebook, like, commenting on politics like they're gonna take down whoever we know these people they don't work they don't have a job but they are they are the revolutionaries of our day they're gonna save the united states of america read their blog do this do that like we know we know these people that's who peter is talking about peter is saying that it's not good to be a meddler like this what is clearly seen in these passages that we've seen is that busybodies are drama People who are too lazy to work, who stay at home all day long and get in other people's business because they got nothing better to do, are dramatic people. They are drama. They refuse to work. They are living off of the church. They are leeches. And since they don't work, since they don't provide for themselves, they have put in all day thinking about their problems, thinking about your problems. Think about all the people in your life, and if you are a lazy degenerate, think about yourself. <laughs> like, who are the people in your life who cause the most drama? I was thinking about this when I was studying. I thought to myself, oh my goodness. Like, the people that I know that don't work, not because they can't, because they just are lazy and they refuse, they are always causing drama. And you know they're causing drama because when you, when you come in contact with them, they share their drama with you. Um, when you're on Facebook, they, they, they're the people who say this, oh, this is going wrong with my life, this is going wrong. They let everybody know their drama, and then 30 minutes later they say, well, it's none of your business what's going on in my life. Like, what? what? You just told the whole world that your husband left you for the 30th time, and you expect us not to comment, or you expect us, well, don't tell us if you don't want us to know. These are these people, and those people, somehow, these people don't have jobs. It's like, well, how do they pay their phone bill? I don't know. I don't know, but they do. So, so th th there is a link between drama and lazy people. People who aren't busy at work, they're busy all day long, stirring up drama, causing drama, because that's what they do. They are busy bodies. They're busy. They occupy their time, but they occupy their time 
messing you up and messing everybody up, okay? Um, what's amazing is that we've already interacted with Proverbs this morning. We've looked at several of the Proverbs. This, this is really cool. Proverbs 26, 13 through 7. Well, in, in Proverbs 26, 13 through 17, Solomon is actually going to make this link between lazy people and drama, okay? I'm going to read it for you. Proverbs 26, verse 13. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. So he doesn't go to work because there might be, he might run into a lion on the way to work. He, he, see, he doesn't want to go out there. It's dangerous out there, okay? Ridiculous. Uh, verse 14. As the door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. You know, you walk in, the door turns on its hinges. Uh, a lazy person all day long, back and forth on their bed. Lazy degenerate. Verse 15. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. This guy's so lazy. Uh, I don't want to like put the spoon in. I'm just going <laughs> to... That's what it says. Now, this is hilarious. Verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So the lazy person, the person who doesn't work, he's got a reason for not working. He's going to fight the system, the corporations. Like, he's not going to work. He's going to prove a point to the millionaires and the billionaires. That's what he's going to do. Okay? He's smart. He's the smart guy. You want to see how smart he is? Read his blog. He'll fix all your problems. This is the guy, this is the guy who voted for Gary Johnson because he wants marijuana legal. That's it. Just, right? But he's going to prove to you. You read his Facebook and he's going to prove to you that pot benefits you and it benefits everybody. That's this guy. He's lazy and he is wiser than you. He's smarter than you. All of you are laughing because you all know people like this. You do. Now look what verse, well, not look, I'll read to you. This is what Solomon does in verse 17. Right after he's done talking about the sluggard, the guy who calls out the millionaires, in verse 17 he says, whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. The right, the right after Solomon is done trashing lazy people, the next thing he mentions are those people who are meddling, okay, causing drama, causing strife. So when people have plenty of time to do nothing, they have plenty of time to stir up strife and to stir up drama. And that's exactly what was going on at the church at Thessalonica. Another quote from Calvin, because we're, we're almost at 500 years since the Reformation. Calvin says this, For the truth is this, those who are the most peaceable of all that exer- are those that exercise themselves in lawful employment, while those that have nothing to do give trouble both to themselves and to others. People who don't work, people who, again, qualification, because some of you are going to walk out of here thinking I said something I didn't. This is, does not mean if you are disabled. This does not mean if your work is taking care of your family. This means this is an attitude problem of people who are physically fine to work, they're capable of why, to work, they're able-bodied to work, they just don't want to because they're lazy. That's the problem here, and this is a problem in the church at Thessalonica. What then is the solution, verse 12? The solution to this problem. We see it in verse 12. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly, and to earn their own living. 
Paul says, now such persons, Paul is now specifically going to turn his attention to these lazy degenerates. He says, these people, I'm talking to you. What, what does he say? He says, we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gives a very forceful command. How do we know it's forceful? Because Paul basically says the same thing twice. So a lot of times when Paul gives a command, he says, I command you to do this, or I urge you to do this. But here, Paul is so annoyed. Paul is so frustrated with these lazy bums. He says, I command and encourage. It's like a boom, boom. It's a double whammy. It's so that way you get the point. It's, it's, two, it's two ways of saying the same thing. I command and encourage. And then look what he does. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's pulling rank here. He's like saying like, as an apostle of God, I command and urge you in the name of the master, the curios, the Lord Jesus Christ. Get a job is what he's saying here. These lazy Christians need a strong, forceful correction from the Apostle Paul, and that is exactly what he's going to give them because the Apostle Paul, he doesn't mind. You're not doing your thing. He'll forcefully correct you. That's kind of his thing, all right? So what does he, what does he tell them? He says, I, com- I command and urge them to do their work. Paul gives the first solution to the problem. Again, One of the problems that we just saw is that some of the Thessalonians weren't busy at work. They were busy bodies. Because they weren't working, they had time to meddle in other people's business. The solution to these busy bodies, are you ready for this really deep theological solution that Paul gives us? The solution for these people is to get a job. Get a job. One of the reasons why people hate work is because they think it resulted from the sin. So, you know, you hear, maybe you, you yourself upset it. Oh, I hate my job. I hate work. Oh, it's just horrible. Why do people say this? Because they say, oh, well, work came from the curse. Um, so, but that's not true. Work was present before the fall happened. In Genesis 2, 15, listen what it says. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. It's paradise. It's perfect. There's no sin in the world. God creates man. He puts him in the garden to work it and keep it. Work was present before the fall. Work was present before the introduction of sin in the world. Um, work, though, did become toilsome as a result of sin. Or Genesis 3, 17-19. This is God cursing the ground because of Adam's sin. He says, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, that you shall not eat of it. Curse of it is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it. And all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken for your dust, and to dust you shall return. So part of the curse, part of the introduction of sin into the world is that now work isn't a great time. Now work stinks. Now work costs you. If you're going to work a manual job, your back is going to hurt. It's going to ache. You're going to come home, achy back. Uh, if you work, you're going to sweat. It's going to cost you. It's, it's going to cost you. There's going to be some pain in it. This is why Solomon in Ecclesiastes 2.11 says this, Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And then in verse 18 he says, I hated all of my work, which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to a man who will come after me. So Solomon says, I've built this huge empire. 
And I've given my life to this. And you know what? I'm going to die. And I'm going to give everything that I have to other people, to my son, to his son. And maybe they're not going to run it like me. Maybe they're going to run my empire right into the ground. And that's exactly what happened. Okay? So Solomon is, is vexed. He's like, what, why, why am I wasting my days working? What is it going to prove? And some of you probably feel the same way. Going to repave 20th again next summer. Why are we doing this? Um, you're, you know what I mean? Seriously, though. Some of you, like, why, why do I work? Um, I have to be careful. As a pastor sometimes, like, you want to know, like, people come in sometimes, not all the time, sometimes, sometimes they come in, they, wanna, they want help. And they, they, you listen to them, and they tell you all of their problems, and all of the, I'm serious, all of the problems are solved by a solution. And the solution is, become a Christian, live right, and read your Bible. That's it. Oh, I have a problem with beating my wife. Well, well then don't. Like, <laughs> like it's, not, it's not rocket science. So sometimes as a pastor, you're like, it's not difficult. Like, you know, as of, so on, when I was in seminary, here's what I thought, honestly, seriously. I thought, like, I'm going to go into ministry, and someone's going to come to me, and they're going to be like, Josh, I lost faith in God. I don't believe he exists because if God's all-powerful, why doesn't he stop the earth? Or why doesn't he stop evil? Therefore, he must not be all-good. You know what I mean? If he's all-good and he can't stop it, then he's not all-powerful. So I, would, I thought someone would be like, they'd come to me with this deep philosophical dilemma, and I'd be like, well, <clears throat> here's the answer to your philosophical problem. That conversation has not happened. It hasn't. So even, even people in ministry, they can become vexed because, because you pull your life into people, Oh, now we're getting personal. You pour your life into people, you do your best for them, and uh, some, you, uh, it's trying not to be specific. Uh, you, I don't know, you rub, you touch their hand the wrong, no, no, wait. Um, <laughs> you, you give them a, a side eye, like, that's it, boom, out of the church, right? And you just poured your life into them. Or, or, you know, you labor hours and hours and hours on a sermon, and then you go out and, like, people will say stuff like, so, you know, you, you hear people talking, it's like, oh, clearly they weren't listening, or people are sleeping. Like, it's easy to become vexed, even in, in ministry, right? But it doesn't matter what our labor is, there's, there's a deeper reason for our labor. We are still to work, we're still commanded to work, we're still to provide for ourselves and our families. Work isn't evil. The great English reformer, Hugh Latimer, he wrote this, Our Savior Christ was a carpenter, and got his living with great labor. Therefore, let no man disdain to follow him in a common calling and occupation. For as he blessed our nature with taking upon him the shape of man, so in his doing, he blessed all occupations and arts. So again, remember at the beginning of the sermon, I told you that the Protestant reformers were really big talking about vocation and doing your work to the glory of God. That's why I've been quoting them. So that way you can see how awesome they are. And Latimer, he's cool. This guy, this guy's so cool. Like, you guys know Bloody Mary? Bloody Mary's like, hey, recant, or I'm going to burn you. And Latimer's like, go ahead. So he's awesome, all right? He's a hero. He's a hero of mine. All right, moving on. Verse. So, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. God himself models, like Latimer said, he models what work is for us because God himself works. 
He worked to create the earth, Genesis 2.12. On the seventh day, God finished his work. What is the work that he had done? Creation. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. God models for us work because God is the great laborer. God is the great worker. He worked in the creation of the world. Every single day, God still works. God is not idle. God is not sitting on a throne in heaven eating jalapeno poppers. God is working. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power every single day. God is at work upholding the universe. God is at work redeeming people. Galatians 4, 4 through 5, God set forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that way we might receive adoption as sons. Every single day, Jesus Christ right now is at work interceding for us. Romans 8, 34, who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us right now, right now. Jesus Christ is at work in heaven, interceding for us you. When you pray, you don't have to pray to Mary. You don't have to pray through a priest. You don't have to come to my office and uh, pay me five bucks and then like that's, and then have me pray for you. You can still come by my house and give me five bucks, no problem. But you don't have to. That's not going to give you an extra boost to heaven. Okay? The reformers recovered the biblical doctrine of the priesthood of the believer. You are your own priest and you can appeal directly to Christ who is the great high priest. And he the great high priest is right now interceding for you to the Father. Christ is at work. He's at work right now preparing a place for us. John 14, uh, 1 through 3, let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I will go to prepare a place for you. Right now, the Holy Spirit is at work within you. He, he convicts sinners and he regenerates them. John 16, 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. He saved us, not because, Titus 3, 5, he saved us not because of works done to us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of his spirit. God is not idle. He is still at work every single day, every moment of every day, and we too must be at work. So Paul tells the Thessalonians they are to work quietly. This is the manner in which they are to work, the way they are to work. This does not mean that they are working by not talking to other people. That's, that's not what he's saying. It does not mean that they're working silently, like, like you go to your job and you can't talk to anybody. That's not what Paul's saying here. The, the, the underlying Greek here communicates, has the connotation of like settling down, like work drama-free. Work in a way that's not disturbing to other people. Okay? You, you, can, you can work without like making the attention all about you, Right? That's what Paul is saying. Work in a way that doesn't cause drama. All right, then look what he says next. And to earn their own living. So people are to work. They're to work in a way that's drama-free. And they're to work to earn their own living. Work is the opposite of theft, is what the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal. How? But rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that way he may have something to share with anyone in need. It, People who are thieves, they need to get a job. They need to work. Working is the opposite of theft. Earlier in 1 Thessalonians, Paul gave a similar command. In 1 Thessalonians 11 through 12, and we've quoted it several times this morning, Paul says, live quietly, mind your own affairs, and work with your hands as we instructed you. Why? 
so that way you may walk properly before outsiders dependent upon no one. When Christians work, and when they work in a way that they should without causing a scene or being unruly, they are actually examples to those around them. When you work, and when you do it with a good heart, and when you do it as unto the Lord in your workplace, irregardless of where you work, you are doing evangelism. Matthew 5.13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Salt is a preservative. Salt adds flavor. If you are a Christian, you add flavor to the workplace. How about that? Um, Christian conduct is inherently evangelistic. In other words, how you live will either authenticate your faith in people's eyes or it will make them look at disdain at Christianity and at Jesus. You know, we've all heard people say, oh, I love, I love Jesus, it's his followers that I have a problem with. There is some truth to that. How you live will affect people's perspective of God. You are, for many people, the only exposure to God that they will ever have which is why Jesus in Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city that is on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that way they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Work is evangelistic. How you work will give your coworkers a good or bad picture of Jesus. Your work is your mission field. You don't have to go thousands of miles away to preach the gospel, to save sinners. You don't have to do that. You just got to go into your job, live the way you should, proclaim the truth, the work. Your work is your mission field. So we're going to put up a chart here, and this is going to summarize where we're at so far. All right, what is the problem? The problem is this. First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians 3.11 is on the left. The solution's on the right. The problem is people are walking in idleness. People are being lazy. What's the solution? Go work. Earn your own living. The second problem in our text is people are being busybodies. They're being meddlers. They're not working, so they're just going to, you know, they're just going to stick their nose where it doesn't belong. The problem for them is also work, but work in a way that is drama-free, okay? Control yourself, all right? Think twice before you post on Facebook is what Paul is saying. All right, number three, verse 13. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in well-doing. So Paul, in verse 12, he addressed the lazy degenerates. Now, in verse 13, he's addressing Christians. He says, As for you, brothers, don't grow weary in well-doing. He's addressing obedient Christians. The word for uh, growing weary here, it, it means to faint, to grow weary or to lose heart. It can be vexing to constantly care for people to meet their needs emotionally, to meet their needs materially. And this is especially true for people who refuse to work. You probably, if you're a good Christian, you have a big heart, you want to help people out, you probably have been exhausted by people who come to you always wanting help. Because they know you're the Christian, so you're the Christian in the family, they're going to go to you and ask for money, right? After a while, it gets old. And it especially gets old if they're just lazy bums, if their life never changes, if they live as a leech on you. They are sucking you dry. And Paul is saying, don't lose heart. Keep doing good. 
The good here is not Paul just saying, be a good guy, be a good person. Specifically, Paul is saying, do the good still of providing for others. As Christians, we are still obligated to care for our families, to care for our church. And we see this modeled beautifully in, in the early church in Acts 2, 44 through 45. All who were believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as, so that as, as any had need. Later on in Acts 4.35, they, they, they're selling homes, they're selling land, and they're giving all of their money to the church. Verse 35, they laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Paul is saying, be encouraged. Don't despair in your job. In your work, be, be good. It is, it's your calling before God. Earlier in the book of Ecclesiastes, we saw that Solomon became bitter and disaffected over the futility of work. Because without God as your focus and labor, work is futile. Work is vanity. It is. But not only does Solomon express the enigma of work without God, he presents to us the huge difference that it makes to keep God as our focus when we are going to work, when we are going to our job. Listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes 2, 24 through 25. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This is from the hand of God. Ecclesiastes 5.12, Sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Ecclesiastes 5.19-20, Everyone also to whom as God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his work, this is the gift of God. Your work is a gift from God. Doing work unto God makes all the difference in the world. It literally changes your focus. It rejuvenates your job. Some of you are very discouraged in your job. Maybe you work at a restaurant or you work out in the oil field or you do some sort of labor that is just not fulfilling work. The beauty of it all is what the Bible tells us is that your lot in life right now is your calling. God has called you to that. How do you know? Because you're there. Your work must not be done for a paycheck, must not done to, to enrich the millionaires and billionaires. Your work should be done to the Lord. What this means is that when you work, when you flip a patty, when you repave a road, when you dig a ditch, this is an act of worship because you are doing it to God. What this means is there is no such thing as the secular over here and the sacred over here. Some Christians think to themselves, well, I'm a lawyer, or I'm a doctor, or I'm an oil field worker. I'm not like the real Christians because they're pastors and missionaries and seminary professors. But that's not true. That's not true. But because before God, all labor is sacred. All calling are holy callings. The reformers emphasize the biblical truth that has been called quorum Deo. It is a Latin phrase that means in the presence of God or before the face of God. R.C. Sproul, who if you don't read or listen to R.C. Sproul, you should. Good guy. This is what he writes. To live quorum Deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. There is no such thing as a division between the secular and the sacred because all of life is sacred before God and all of life is to be lived as worship 
before God. Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Doing your job unto the Lord is as much worship as coming in here and singing Amazing Grace. Doing your job on Monday morning with the heart to God, doing it as an act of worship, is just as much worship as right now you listening to the Word of God preach and submitting to it. Okay? Our jobs, our vocations are done to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. When we change our mindset, our mentality about work, And when we see work as not just working to get a paycheck, not just working to provide, but when we see work as an act of worship to God, that will radically transform everything about you. Which is why Martin Luther, the great reformer, wrote this. What seem to be secular works are actually the praise of God and represent an obedience which is well-pleasing to him. In conclusion then, two big takeaways from this passage. Two big takeaways. Number one, laziness in the church and in society is a real problem. People who are not willing to work are a burden on everybody else. They leech off other people and are dependent upon others to do things like, you know, eating. They're also busybodies. They're meddlers. They cause drama. They stir up strife. If this is you, stop it. Get a job. Okay, that's what Paul's saying. This is you. Stop it. Get a job. Number two, some of you in here have been burned by loafers. People have taken advantage of your kindness. They've taken advantage of your help. They've taken advantage of your financial giving. You aren't obligated to help everyone. And you are not obligated to help those who refuse to work. God's encouragement from this text for you is this. Don't lose heart. Continue to do good. Continue to meet genuine needs in other people. Don't view your job as your job. Your job is your calling. Your job is your worship before the Lord. What then about those Christians who even after hearing this passage that we covered this morning, still refuse to work? What are we to do with believers who still, after hearing the teaching of God's word like this, still refuse to work? That is the subject for next week's text, so make sure you come back. All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your all-sufficient word. We thank you that in it, you've given us everything. You've given us, the, you've given us everything we need to live a godly life before you. You've given us everything we need to be complete. So, Father, this morning, I pray for your people. I pray for the people of Desert Heights Church. For those in here who are lazy and who aren't working, who can I pray that the Holy Spirit will convict them and they will see the need from you that they must work, that they must provide for themselves. And Father, for every believer in here this morning who's discouraged, they're discouraged because people are loafing off of them or they're discouraged because they, they, they see no bigger purpose for their vocation, I pray, God, that you will impress upon them and on their heart that everything that they do 
unto you is an act of worship, and that gives it its dignity. Father, thank you for this message. Thank you for your people. Bring us back safely next week, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.